to the In My Defense podcast. It has been far too long, folks. This is an episode that has been way overdue. I apologize 100%. This episode should have been out weeks ago, but you know how it is. You want to get things right. You want to make sure they are done correctly. And this is an important one, guys. This is one where I'm up in the stakes. It's not just me bringing on my, my buddies anymore, bringing on people that I know personally. This one, we have a professional on the podcast. If you haven't guessed it just yet, or if you haven't looked at the title of the episode that's on your player, or whatever you're listening to, this episode is about the character Zorro, the mythical figure of uh spanish american history right we uh, we've all heard of zorro we've all seen the movies we've all read the books we've read the comics we've heard the legends and today on the podcast i have someone who is basically an expert of zorro someone who really knows what he's talking about because he actually wrote a book on zorro because today i have on the writer of zorro's shadow how a mexican legend became america's first superhero professor stephen jc andes and I read his book. It's terrific. As a fan of Zorro, I'm really glad I picked it up. I was really excited about getting him on the show, especially to kind of like celebrate a hundred years of this character that I've been fascinated with ever since I was a little kid. And he did not disappoint. Steven was an excellent guest. Uh, he, his, Him talking about his experiences with researching this book and everything that he learned and everything he found out. Uh, the book is currently available where all books are sold. You can also get an audiobook. You don't write a book about Zorro without being a fan of it, am I right? And me and Steve really get to geek out a little bit over this character. Uh, but let me not waste too much of your time, guys. It's already been so long since we had an episode. I can't guarantee that the schedule won't be a little bit more sporadic than necessary just because as things are changing and we're getting back into we're hopefully getting back into a regular society we'll see what happens but i've already got several episodes on lock ready for you guys don't worry about it i am still recording i am still editing i'm still doing everything i can to make sure this show is everything that i want it to be and i've got a bunch of really weird ideas in the future let's not take up too much more of your time i'll remind you guys about links and emails and socials you guys can reach after the episode but let's get into zaro's shadow and the character of zaro himself with steven andes So I am here with the writer of the book Zorro's Shadow, a, a book I have right here, a How a Mexican Legend Became America's First Superhero, Mr. Stephen Andes. Say hi to everybody, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me, Christian. This is fun, man. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Um, so we are here to talk about basically the character of Zorro, the pulp action hero, uh, one of the one of the most famous action heroes in fictional action hero characters in like American history. Um, so you you wrote an entire book, which I found last year and I really appreciated. <laughs> and like it was I knew I knew when I started this podcast, I was eventually going to talk about Zorro because it happened to be the the hundredth year, like since like the Marco Zorro movie, the hundred and first year since the Curse of Capistrano came out. Exactly. Um, so I think first of all, I just want to ask, like, what is your relationship with this character? Like, why what is why talk about Zorro? What does Zorro mean to you as a character in your life? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, like, um, you know, like, as you were saying, Zorro's been around for like 100 years, right? Um, as like a, a character in fiction. And so everybody all, you know, like what I when I was doing research, I would always ask people like, you know, what, what is your favorite Zorro, right? Because some, you know, I've obviously, um, I'm a little bit, uh, well, older for some, younger for others. But for me, the Zorro that I always came to mind but before I started writing this was, you know, the Antonio Banderas uh, movies and stuff, right? Because I was like just graduating high school when I think the first one came out and stuff. And um, so for me, that was kind of like what I had in mind. Others, obviously Disney, right? Uh, Guy Williams, 
others, you know, even a little bit maybe older movie buffs would uh, pick up on like the 1940 Tyrone Power film. And then still like, obviously, uh, you know, it's a hundred years ago, but like uh, Douglas Fairbanks, the first Zorro film. And so for me, I always had an association with Antonio Banderas, right? And so in some ways, you know, deconstructing my vision of Zorro was also kind of wrapped up with the sort of Latin lover trope, right? Um, obviously, Zorro can can be connected to that throughout. But I think Antonio Banderas, you know, he was like the freaking sexiest man alive, right? He has the magazine cover to prove it. So that that was sort of my, the mystique around Zorro for me. And I went into it thinking like, okay, well, here's this super huge character, as you were saying. And when I was doing some preliminary research, I was like, there's not anything really like that satisfying that's kind of taking the scholarly approach, but also one that is written for like a more general audience that that tries to say, OK, like Zorro was created in 1919. But is there any sort of thing behind that? Like, where did this come from? And and so that was what kind of got me going on my journey a little bit. Okay, and touching on that about like kind of like the the lack of a scholarly view on the character, um, did you find that there was an innate curiosity like while you're researching? Like, were there people who uh, I mean, you obviously met people who had like their own understandings about where Zaro came from, but did you find that there was a curiosity just in the zeitgeist of other people who were like, you know what? I always other people that always wonder, you know, where does Zaro come from? Right. Who where do, do the original myths and legends actually spring up from? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it was it was sort of like, oh, wow, interesting. You know, they pretty much, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, okay, the guy with the mask, the, the air, they would do the ubiquitous sort of air Z, you know, mm-hmm. um, and when when you when you begin to to kind of question that beyond that it becomes super fascinating for people. I think it was, it was the sense of, okay, here's this character who was created in 1919, you know, 20 years before uh, Superman and Batman came on the scene and really sort of laid some sort of superhero tropes, even though obviously Zorro doesn't have superpowers and stuff like that, but he's got the mask, the alter ego, the sidekick, all those kind of things. And that is a identifiably, even though oftentimes whitewashed Latinx character, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this Latinx character that is at the birth of the superhero genre. And that's not really something that is really in our, our as you were saying, in, our, in the zeitgeist. We, there are people that have, a lot of people that have talked about like the Jewish origins of Superman. But the idea of like, okay, well, let's talk about the Latin, the the Latinx origins of the superhero as well, right? And um, I think that, to me, was the exciting thing about this uh, part of the story is like saying, okay, well, actually, this American superhero was birthed in diversity, not just sort of your sort of you know white bread Anglo kind of um, you know kind of superhero myth, right? Yeah, I think I think I, I think I was right there with you, and like I mean, like personally, I I grew up on like the Disney Guy Williams uh, right. TV show, like watching those old reruns when they would come up and listening to the song, and I'd watch every episode over and over and over again. And then I also had the Antonio Banderas uh, movie when that came out, and like. And going going back and seeing like the, every generation has their Zorro, right? Like there's <laughs> right. there's literally been like a movie every twenty years, and we're at, probably overdue for one uh, right. at this point. Uh, so like, do, I mean, do you have a favorite uh, person who put on the mask? Like, just a favorite actor who did it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in in you know having the chance to watch so much uh, Zorro stuff. Um, I would say one of the like the film that is one of the most satisfying is actually the 1940 Tyrone Power movie. And part of the the reason why is because Tyrone Power really does kind of like the fop part of the character well, right? He is he at the time was sort of like one of the the most attractive men in Hollywood or re- reportedly so. And but the action sequences are not it's not like the Antonio Banderas you know he's swinging off things or the even the Douglas Fairbanks things but it's like really compact it's like the 
the sort of the climatic scene takes place in this tiny little mm-hmm. office and they're you know like they're the swords are flinging there's no music score going so you hear the swords and you hear you know they're tripping over things and it's just it's a really exciting rendition of of that so that's always one that stands out to me as as one that i enjoyed and was surprised by when i went back and actually watched it yeah very cool i think i felt the same way when yeah. i saw them just because like yeah i grew up on the guy williams so like there's just so much of that show to enjoy which i got lucky right. so i was a little biased towards guy williams <laughs> but then yeah when i eventually got to see the tyrone power movie it was really great seeing the douglas fairbanks movie and seeing just the stunts that were done like right. douglas fairbanks was an action star of his time and like the he was doing things that nobody would have been allowed to do today if they had done that movie um so know, it was just right? really cool to watch yeah i mean on 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 twitter today you can go on there and they'll they'll like have like sort of these gifts you know side to side between douglas fairbanks and lynn some of like the jackie chan uh stunts yeah and it's kind of cool you know jumping off of buildings and stuff like that and and but but that's also what you know one of the things that i think gets looked overlooked in in terms of zorro as this at the birth of the american superhero is that you know douglas fairbanks in 1920 is doing this in silent film right and so nobody had ever really done these things before so the visual medium of film itself was very important in sort of inaugurating the superhero genre because people could do these amazing stunts and things that that you know obviously people had read in their imaginations but the overpowering kind of like the um the effective way that film as a medium began to change people's perceptions like the early you know um siegel and schuster you know they talk about being wowed by douglas fairbanks as a character like superman uh, is literally wearing like a strong man's outfit like the kind right. of guy you would see performing <laughs> right. like feats of strength at this right at, uh, exactly on, on right movies and, and circus shows and uh bill finger you know batman co-creator um you know who didn't get much of the credit until now but that's another story <laughs> um right but uh but he he used to you know tape up film stills of Douglas Fairbanks in different action poses as models when they were drawing early Batman scripts and stuff like that. So, and now um, in almost like every version of like Zorro's origin, like his family is going out to see the Mark of Zorro uh, in the, in the theater when on the night that his parents get killed. So it's, 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 it, the, 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 the inspiration is direct in that case where definitely like Batman draws on Zorro as a character. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was, I don't know if hilarious is the right word, but in the recent Joker film, right, the the movie that is shown in the background is Zorro the Gay Blade, right, yeah. which is this <laughs> spoof, right? And so it, it kind of takes the sort of the meta Zorro origins there into in, a different way. So, yeah, so I mean, and so with that, there's all this stuff that Zorro meant to the superhero genre, but it's it's sort of also Zorro himself is indebted to Latinx history and, and experience and culture. And that's part, that's one of the real heart of the book is really trying to show how, especially legends that grew up around the gold rush bandit, Joaquin Murrieta fed into the cre- eventual creation of Zorro, although whitewashed, although, um, you know, um, made sort of more aristocratic, um, you know, more Spanish, all of that. Um, a, a lot of those those early stories were about, you know, uh, a guy from Sonora who went to the gold fields and was done wrong by uh, Anglo settlers, right? And um, had to take sort of the quote unquote law into his own hands and seek justice in his own way, right? And so I think that, that was uh, a really impactful and meaningful part of the story for me as well. Re, uh, reading your book, I came away from it thinking, was there something special about Zorro and the character of Don Diego? Like, was it because of those Latinx origin, origins and because of those, like those legends coming from real people who existed that led to the longevity of the character? Because like, why, why is it Zorro and not necessarily like any of these other pulp action heroes, like, like Doc Savage or the shadow or the spider, like, or like, yes, those characters influenced what became, what happened later, but why, right. why are we still talking about them? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I'm going to deliberately 
like answer the question as a, as a professor does, which is <laughs> like <laughs> to try to like put it in a different context. Like one of the things that I started out studying was um, religious history. Right. And um, so I, I, when I studied to get my PhD, I was studying the history of uh, religion in Mexico. And one of the things that, you know, you quickly learn is that religious devotions whether in Mexico or elsewhere, but especially around um, Catholicism, um, only, you know, are meaningful if they somehow satisfy the needs of their adherents, right? If they're meaningful to the people that tell the stories. Um, And for Zorro, I think, even though those sort of Latinx origins and history and experience has has sort of you know been disnified and and in all of those and whitewashed and all that kind of stuff commodified um i think there is still something that was meaningful for a meaningful story to tell about zorro you know um i always tell the story of the comic book uh writer and creator javier hernandez el muerto um this great comic book character created in the late nineties when he talks about how for him growing up as a kid watching, you know, Disney, um, watching, you know, Zorro and stuff like that. He was like, Oh man, this is the guy that I resonate most with because he, you know, he has a vaguely Spanish sounding name and, and he, you know, he's the good guy. And, and so he was always rooting for Zorro, even though later on he's, he's realized how, um, that that was in many ways a whitewashed version. Version, sorry. Um, there is a way in which, and this is what like um, you know some scholars like Frederick Luis Aldama and William Nariccio talk about the way in which people are creative in sort of metabolizing and taking in pop culture and then using what they need from it, even though on the surface of it, it might be kind of racist or it might be kind of like, you know, a weird representation or not, uh, you know, written by white people, all that kind of stuff, but that somehow it can be metabolized and meaningful for um, a community. And in this case, uh, Latinx people that looked at Zorro and were like, hey, this is the only guy that's representing us. He's our hero. We we take him as our own, right? And so I think people aren't just passive consumers of pop culture. They also actively change it and spit it back out and make it important for them. And so Zorro has remained relevant in as much as Zorro has been able to speak to people's needs in the present for the no, stories think, they want to tell. Yeah, you know? I think I, I agree with you. I think I absolutely buy into that just because that is basically my experience. Like I remember being like, I, I grew up in a Latinx household. Like my Spanish isn't too great, but like just seeing a character on, seeing several characters on TV speaking Spanish, right. uh, even if it is just kind of like a bunch of like brown faced white guys. Right, right, like, right. To some degree, there is some kind of connection. It's like, I'm not getting this anywhere else. And like all those other guys, all those other heroes might be like a dime a dozen. So like, and they don't speak to me the way that Zero does. So I definitely feel that connection with this character and me and, and then and it also and it definitely led into my love of superheroes right like yeah. seeing seeing a guy dressed up in a costume at night wearing a mask and and performing these great feats and stunts and then romancing women during the day is like yeah that's exactly <laughs> the kind of uh superhero that like that's that that's that is batman that is superman that is that is spider-man that that does lead into the 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 myths and legends that i still follow and read about to this day so yeah i definitely feel you on that one yeah yeah. So Zorro serves as kind of like this bridge between um, the pulp heroes and the superheroes that we end up having today. Did you do you already naturally have like a draw to the American myth that is the superhero that kind of led you to Zorro? Like, did you grow up like being a fan of superheroes already? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I was a fan, you know, a huge fan of like Superman um, and Batman and stuff like that. And then um, also got into, you know, I mean, gosh, I remember, you know, reading for whatever reason. And I mean, I guess they're sort of uh, superhero adjacent, but I remember reading all the like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics and stuff like that. And uh, and, you know, um, 
And so, yeah, like they, they had always been there. And for a while, I think there, I, I was, you know, sort of like, okay, they're cool and stuff like that. But I think um, over the last maybe 10 years, as I've gotten a little older and sort of revisiting some of those things and, and looking at sort of the stories that are being told, um, you realize that many of these stories um, uh, probably do for us today what, uh, you know, stories of the, you know, Greek gods did uh, in, uh, you know, in ancient days and stuff like exactly. that. And so, yeah. um, you know, and so I think we can see uh, our strengths uh, personified in our sort of virtues personified in the struggles that we have to keep those right. And, and then the, the twists on those, the, the ways in which, um, you know, power can be corrupted, the, the watchmen sort of, uh, esque kind of, uh, more cynical view of what power can do in the hands of superhuman people. Right. Um, and so I think, these are these are mythic tales that that we tell and um i think they can be important um stories um and hopefully they challenge us um and i think they go in cycles and sometimes it's very spoofy uh sometimes you know it it, there are you know genres get bent and molded and stuff like that but um these are these are stories that are you know these are these are our like you know kind of uh, mythic stories that for the the sort of modern age or postmodern age you know, um, and I think that's why they're important because we keep retelling them, um, and obviously you know they they get retold for a variety of reasons, uh, oftentimes commodified and made money upon, but. Um, but I think they're entertaining because when I go in and I, you know, see a Marvel movie, I'm, you know, I'm just, I go in as a fan, you know, or, um, uh, and it's in sometimes later on, I'm like back at the, the refrigerator saying, huh, really? You know, like <laughs> in the moment I was, I, I was enthralled and it was fun and stuff like that. And then later on, like sort of the, the analytical part of your brain, you know, clicks on and you, you think about uh, maybe, you know, things that uh, uh, they should have done differently or et cetera. But um, yeah. So like, uh, I know you said they, they, they come in cycles is, do you think there is like a, a defining archetype or a definition as to like what makes the superhero? Because like in your, in your book, you talked about Zorro having these traits that later were found and were found like the secret identity, the, uh, the make sure that there is a difference between that identity and the identity of the hero themselves. Like there are these, all, all these traits that were, were, I don't want to say copied, but basically copied uh, for lack of a better word into what became right. like Superman and Batman. So are there defining traits that still exist to this day or is it something that has evolved over time? If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's evolved. Definitely. I mean, now definitely, um, you know, the, the idea of not having some sort of uh, superhuman or supernatural ability is probably, um, uh, not as as common, but I mean, you know, even you know, there's Hawkeye, right? He can really shoot a good arrow, you know. Like, um, <laughs> it's not like it's not, it's not like uh, you know, all of them have to be sort of um, super strength or other kind of superhuman abilities, or even Iron Man, right? I guess he's really good at science, um, and <laughs> uh, and and that's what you know. Uh, the joke about Batman is always like his superpower is his white privilege. Right. Uh, And so, um, right. And so, but in some way, like, I mean, uh, the same could probably be said about the way in which Zorro oftentimes gets, um, you know, the super wealthy uh, 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 kind of Spanish Dawn that doesn't have to work that, et cetera. And so I think that that is there as well. Um, so is there like one single defining trait? I think no. Um, I would say now the idea of creating a superhero without um, a superhuman ability is less common, right? Um, and for for good reason, it's just 
seems like that's the evolution of it. Um, but uh, I think ultimately they're the real sense of what makes a superhero a superhero is that okay so the the ability or whatever it is um is in some ways just a backdrop right it could that's almost like the the sort of fill in the blank right but what is constant is always the idea of sacrifice virtue you know with great power comes great responsibility this sort of uh you know, pro-social kind of view, right? That this idea of like, um, there is wrong in the world and somehow I am um, called to be involved in putting it right. Um, and uh, now that can come with lots of problems and um, and be problematic as well, right? But because not everybody wants to be uh, saved, right? Yeah, but or, stories have definitely gotten much more complicated nowadays. Right. So, I mean, you know, like, I think the when when things begin to, when the same kind of iteration keeps being told, I think then that's a crossroads for a genre where it either, um, you know, morphs, um, somehow bends, it maybe moves to satire for a certain amount of time, or it just sort of dies, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, that's that's you do see that kind of cycle going on. Yeah. Even and, as I was asking my question, I was thinking about like what like there's very few superheroes left today that have secret identities, even like that, where that aspect right. of storytelling is not. Around. It's like maybe Spider-Man, Batman and Superman. And that's it. Everybody else is just out in the open doing their thing. Right. And <laughs> it, it's 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 one of those things where, yeah, it's one of those things that just had to evolve because it's like you said, this was a part of storytelling of, oh, what happens if the, my loved ones find out who I am or my enemies find out who I am? It's just something that's been done over and over again and it's hard to retell that story right yeah yeah uh, do you think that i mean uh in your in your uh, near the near the end of your book after you like kind of went went through the history of zorro i was really enjoying what you were saying in the ending about like zorro becoming this character who, that was being taken back by the people where like the the whitewashing and 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 the the bourgeoisie of the character was kind of being lessened and lessened and yeah. Sarah was becoming uh, a hero of the people, a more diverse, more inclusive character. Um, did, what do you think the next step for that is? Like what, ha what, where, where do you see the future going? Like we're overdue for a movie. What do you think the next Zorro movie might end up looking like if, if it's, if it's supposed to be the 2020, 2020s version of Zorro? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I got to say that, um, you know, you know, I think definitely not just a, a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so whether, you know, it's a Latinx person, a person of color, but especially also a woman, um, you know, uh, hey, you know, just I mean, all the ways in which our sort of kind of heteronormative view of superheroes and the sort of hero myth, um, I think is all ripe to be sort of, um, molded and changed and played with, um, in a way that is meaningful for people. I think it would be awesome to see a, 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 a female woman playing, you know, like in the same way that, you know, Antonio Banderas was given the mask. It would be great to see th that sort of handed off. Um, uh, you know, in the comics, there are a couple of characters. Uh, one is Lady Zorro and Lady Rawhide. Um, and so they they were kind of like female versions of Zorro, but they were heavily sexualized as well. And, and then also not, they weren't Zorro. They were, you know, sort of their own character, right? Um, mm -hmm. And oftentimes Zorro would kind of swoop in at certain times into the storyline and, you know... Um, kind of be almost like the master of ceremony of their storyline. And so I think, um, you know, definitely the Isabella Allende in her novel, 2005 novel, Zorro was, uh, did a great service to the character in, and really writing a sort of mestizo, uh, uh, Don Diego and looking at the, implications of you know zorro being the product of both a spanish father and an indigenous mother um and so i think that that sort of way of telling 
the story hopefully will only continue. You know, I've, I've heard Robert Rodriguez's name being thrown around as potentially, you know, he back in 1998 was one of the directors under consideration and that fell through, but there seems like there's some talk again about him being involved. Um, you know, so that would be awesome. Yeah, uh, this, is all, this is only a rumor in the, in the little bit of research I did for it, but it was like, apparently there might be like a post-apocalyptic Zorro story on the horizon somewhere. Like maybe yeah. Zorro against zombies or something like that, which I know is something that happened in the, the comics. The comics, right, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, 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 yeah, yeah. It's, we're, I'm thankful that Zorro has gone to the public domain. Like he's one of the few characters that is old enough. Who's he's still older than Mickey Mouse, so he doesn't. He, right. he, they didn't have to re up on those rights. So like anybody, literally anybody can do anything with him, and it's it's going to lead to like so much uh, more grand stories being told because anybody can pick up the name and just start telling their version of that story. So it was in your research in your research for the book. What was your what was your experience like when when you when you because in a t- in a, tell me your travel stories i miss traveling so much <laughs> right uh, being, yeah. being able to go around and, <laughs> and 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 learn about the origins of this character without without spoiling too much of like what you've actually wrote because we want sure, people to sure. read this yeah thing. yeah well like you know um i'm his you know my my job my day job is as a history professor at uh, louisiana state university and um And so I'm a, you know, I'm a historian. So I like to go and find old documents and try to, you know, sleuth out. Uh, It's, it's sort of my, you know, it's sort of the, the, probably the more boring version of being like an Indiana Jones where instead of, you know, searching for lost artifacts, you're searching for lost uh, documents. Right. Um, (laughs) And so I went to Mexico city and which I've, you know, done lots of research there before for other projects and i went to the national archives and and i did some research on this one guy who some have made the argument that he is an inspiration for zorro which is actually this irish guy named william lamport um who supposedly came to mexico in the 17th century and was taken captive by the inquisition and was eventually burned at the stake and the stories around him and his life um there's a couple of people that have said that he was an inspiration for Zorro. so i wanted to like say okay well is that the case or how do we know that or um and then so i looked at the documents and then um it led me to the idea that no, that actually William Lamport um, couldn't have been the main inspiration for Zorro because the guy who penned the first Zorro story, Johnston McCauley, um, wouldn't have read about William Lamport one because um, there was no indication that he spoke or read Spanish outside of the sprinkling of like adios and senor in his writing right uh there was no indication that he ever went to mexico um and so that led me elsewhere in mexico and one of the places i got to visit and i would recommend everybody in the state of sinaloa in a little town called el fuerte there is actually a zorro themed hotel my favorite Um, parts of the book when you described it (laughs) yeah it was awesome man it was awesome just like you know they went full on you know like stage fog and the guy comes out with like a you know sort of like a lapel mic that he's uh you know uh doing his tale that somehow Zorro was actually born in this very hotel and all this kind of stuff. And the ghost of Zorro lives on yada, yada. And, um, it was fascinating, you know, just like the marketing that had gone into this and really making this town that had little, I mean, it's way, it's kind of like out of the way, you know? And so, you know, tourists come and stay there because of this. Right. And there's like a statue of Zorro and there's like a whole wall of these documents that make it seem very historical and stuff, but none of them have anything to do with (laughs) Zorro. It's all other stuff. Um, I still really love it though, just because like, it's, it's part of that. It's part of that taking the story back. Right. Cause like Johnson McCauley was this guy who, who probably was not a great guy. I mean, he definitely was not that great of a guy he just he was a, right. in, he was a white dude in the 1920s who 
<laughs> like yeah, again, again what, what can you say if, you, if you're born before 1930 you're probably not that good a person to begin with um, <laughs> right. by today's standards anyways so right. so I like even even if it is necessarily for a tourist trap the idea of a town just taking the Legend of Zorro and making it their own is something that I really really appreciate uh, it's it's, exactly. one of, it's one of my favorite things when it comes to these kind of stories yeah yeah no exactly man that that's that sort of like appropriation and metabolizing something that was um in some ways uh you know in many well in many ways you know commodified in the united states right taking um you know mexican-american history and culture and stuff like that and making a disney show out of it right um and so why shouldn't a little hotel in the middle of nowhere mexico take it back you know and use it as their own story and use it as you know sell their t-shirts and you know their their swag you know with zorro on it um exactly man and so i think there was like this more of this 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 sense of um you know in some ways zorro as uh like an entity is nowhere near as big in, in actually in mexico today as as in the united states but there are many masked characters obviously um you know, masked heroes in Mexico oftentimes have to do with Lucha Libre um, and the luchadores and stuff like that. But um, there were many kind of films made with, you know, the, the scarlet masked writer and the, you know, et cetera and so forth. And so there's lots of that trope there too. But, but yeah, like um, that's a great example again of, of, of people finding something meaningful out of that story and retelling it and it giving a purpose to, to what they're doing, their identity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, like when I, when I read your book and I heard about the, 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 the 2005 now, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of her, uh, her name, the, the author oh, of Is- the Isabella Allende. Isabella Allende. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I, I got that book almost immediately after I finished reading yours. I haven't jumped <laughs> into it yet, but I'm definitely excited about getting into yeah, it. Yeah. And and like I loaded up on a bunch of like Zorro comics because yeah, I want to see I I want to see my like it's one of those things where the character themselves, the idea just grows beyond whatever the original author uh, right. had intended. Uh, Death of the author is one of my favorite concepts ever. Like I I want to see these <laughs> big ideas grow bigger and bigger and become and like belong to the people to the people that the stories are being told to. So the idea idea of Zaro becoming this more inclusive character and becoming someone who's a better representation of the people he's meant to defend right like Zaro Zaro as time goes on is becoming like a better example of a hero to the people and right. that's something I'm yeah, really excited to see in the near future um, exactly that's well said yeah <laughs> definitely man uh, do you have do you have like do you have any any stories that maybe didn't make it into the book or like like by virtue of like editing or something like that that you didn't get to like talk about <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's see. Um, You know, um, when I was in um, L.A. and stuff like that, doing some research, um, there was uh, I I visited the La Brea Tar Pits and that shows up a couple of times in some Zorro comics and stuff like that. And it just sort of struck me. And I I, and I had originally wanted to sort of write about that. Um, And then it just didn't work in the in the narrative. But I think there was something fascinating about this sense of, um, you know, part of it, and I did talk a little bit about this in the book, this sort of way in which the um, the aesthetic, especially the Spanish aesthetic in Southern California is one that has been um, kind of curated and, and sort of constructed, right? And the very real sort of Mexican-American population has been overlooked, right? And so in how that worked essentially was that our past is a Spanish past, not a Mexican past, right? Even though right. the it's people a, that live- a European the, past. Right, yeah, a European past, exactly, right? And so, um, but then you go to a place like the La Brea Tar Pits and you realize the sort of long history that was- there in in California, right? In that before sort of the arrival of Europeans in uh, California was one of the most um, 
sort of linguistically and ethnically diverse places in the world at the time, there were hundreds of mutually unintelligible languages, meaning that all of these different cultures sort of sort of developed uh, their own thing, right? And in that sort of indigenous past, I think um, in California has been largely sort of overlooked. And I think the history of Zorro, I think, um, can point in a direction of sort of of reviving that, especially so in one of the comics by, well, by Isabel Allende's story, and then some of the comics by Matt Wagner, uh, Bernardo definitely becomes like um, a, a, an awesome character. Um, and then in you know, not just sort of like this mute sidekick, right? But somebody, uh, or like sort of a uh, a funny man as he is in um, the Disney the Disney uh, right. television show, but a kind of warrior in his own right. Right. And so, like in David Avalon's uh, series Zorro, Swords of Hell, uh, Bernardo is sort of like this badass swordsman, right? And like this, uh, you know, they're very much sort of Zorro and him are brothers, um, you know, raised together, sort of friends to the end kind of deal. And so, I think that aspect of reviving that indigenous past is something that I maybe wanted to talk more about in the book and wasn't able to to give as much space to okay yeah but it's still super fascinating seeing the the history and like how diving into these characters can like bring up so much of that past and 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 make and make everybody feel like a part of it right because like it's one of those things where when you really dive deep into it you realize oh yeah we're all a part of this zaro like even in your book in your, in your research of the book zaro is not just he's not just um William Lamport or Joaquin Murrieta, right. he is he's several other people whose whose stories and legends kind of like were thrown thrown into the pot and and mixed together and 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 that's why it's been able to go beyond the curse of Capistrano, right? Because yeah. uh, the the original story gets told and then sequels and side stories and all these other kind of things pop up the movie pops up and all of a sudden like people are telling story like the, the hotel zaro shows up and people are telling stories that like they never read about they just made up stories because this is a part of our culture like uh i, I knew this story about a crazy dude who fought off a bunch of bandits uh right. 20 20 years ago but now he's zaro <laughs> now that right. guy's zaro now and like it all gets added to the canon it all becomes true just because it's the character itself has become so much bigger than any anything that anybody could have imagined when it was first orchestrated. Yeah. 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 No doubt, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, while we're getting near the end here, I want to get it like a chance to geek out for a second. Are there sure. any particular <laughs> aspects? Are there any particular aspects of like Zorro stories that are your favorite? Like uh, things, things that you saw in the movies or the comics or the books, like moments that make Zorro just like a really cool, badass hero story. Yeah. Um, Honestly, the the one that I keep going going back to is I, I think I really dug the the American mythology comics and their sort of line of putting Zorro in um, sort of a horror genre um, because that's something that you know Zorro hasn't really done as much right back in the 1990s there uh don mcgregor uh one of the guys that sort of revived zorro in the comics in the 90s um did a kind of run of uh dracula versus zorro which is a great like two comic run that um is pretty fun uh but then since then you know that sort of horror aspect of like you know you you this is an enemy that you can't defeat just by, you know, hacking a sword at it, right? You have to sort of dig deeper and Zorro is able to sort of dig into some of his, you know, go to grandma, his sort of grandmother that's a, a, a sort of uh, tribal you know, healer, like mystic, yeah, like right, mystic and, and get into that and stuff like that. So just, I think that sort of sparked my imagination a little bit because so often I think the, the Western genre has over, uh, especially in the latter half of the 20th century, you know, Zorro was kind of like this Western character in many ways, but, um, putting a more like a darker edge to it, I think was something that felt more 
fresh to me um, and, uh, and alive a little bit. Um, so I really liked that a lot. I, I also really loved the the there was a series called masks where like all of the early pulp heroes like were teamed up together. Right, and yeah. so, you know, Zoro was there, but also the shadow and um, the spider. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and stuff like that. And that was fun sort of seeing them all kind of um, fighting together. Um, and then I was really surprised by Zoro and the Lone Ranger. Right. Because I thought they're like, OK, well, here's obviously um, <laughs> I talk about some of this in my book, but but I was like they do some really good stuff in that in that Zoro is like this old man. Right. And he has to come out and and, uh, you know, I won't sort of, you know, give the spoilers or whatever. But I thought that was um, they did some interesting stuff. And then, of course, uh, Zoro and Django, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> really the, cool. the crossover, you know, but. But yeah, man, like I think um, there's some good stuff that is being done and can be done. And um, I'm excited to hear what's next. Yeah, me too. Uh, like me, like when I when I me as I dive into the classics and I'm and I and I and I have that geeky personality where once I like dig into a certain subject, I just can't stop and I want to know everything about it. And, <laughs> I, and I can't like I, I watch like the original Marcus Zorro movie, the 1920 movie. And I see that moment and that movie's all on YouTube. If anybody wants to see it, it's all available. You can watch it for free on YouTube right now. Uh, the silent film, the scene where uh, Zorro crashes, like the, the meeting between all the, all the, all the dons in the area. And I can't help, like, I don't know if Frank Miller did this on purpose, but it definitely seems to me like the scene in, uh, the Batman year one where Batman crashes the party with the gangsters. And he's like, just warning them all about the, about like oh, your, interesting. Your, your time is in, I yeah. can't help but draw that similar. I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but definitely like I, you see a, 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 a hero in a masked hero in black who, who crashes a meeting between powerful people and tells them like, you guys need to get your shit together. That, that definitely like I, I drew, I, oh, wow. I, I can't yeah. help but draw the comparisons there. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I didn't, yeah that's great um i love it yeah 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 um that's a that's a beautiful parallel connection there yeah i also think of um yeah the the fight that you brought up the the tyrone power basil rathbone fight in the office where yeah it's definitely it's like this claustrophobic fight and like like they're going one-to-one each other which is really awesome and 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 just all the inspirations that zero has caused like there was like a dc villain called the cavalier who was definitely like a direct reference to like zero and i remember uh reading the comic where Batman faces him and like he wants to he wants to save an actor just because the actor was in the same movie as Basil Rathbone because <laughs> Batman in canon is inspired by the movie Zaro and he has an he's a he's a fanboy for these characters it's just right. it's just it's those, those little awesome details and seeing the influence the character has made over time that uh really fascinates me and made me want to, to like always want to talk about them and share these stories yeah man uh, so Stephen it has been a pleasure to have you on is there any final thoughts that you want to get out there about this character like if if, if you want to if you want if you wanted to convince people right now to like read your book and find out more about Zorro and what's so fascinating about him and what fascinates you about this character how would you do so to put mm. the pressure on you <laughs> yeah um, yeah no man I would just say that um, everything has a history and it's up to us to to seek it out you know um and you know at the end of the book i i the i talk about being at sort of my local library a local mini uh comic-con and i think there's a sense that the the worlds of fandom right um there's a real opportunity i think for us to to make representation matter and um but it it is only going to matter as we begin to shed light on some of these stories and and basically you know uh we got to create more suits right uh Mm -hmm. because there's a lot more superheroes out there in their stories that need to be told and so um zorro is just one of them and hopefully one that inspires others to to create to create more suits yeah i will always appreciate the imagery of gandalf taking a selfie with miles morales it's great (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, So, Stephen, like I said, it was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, If there's anything you want to promote or anything you're working on that you want other people to know about, now's the time to let them know. Yeah, man. So, um, 
you y'all can just go to my website uh it's actually um zorosghost.com and um i got stuff about my books i'm actually just finished up a um a dystopian novel called jade daughter of the wasteland and hopefully that'll be out sometime in the near future and the next project i'm thinking about working on in terms of nonfiction is something on the secret history of speedy gonzalez so oh yeah definitely interested in checking that out um th- <laughs> thank you so much for being here thank you for writing zoro's shadow how a mexican legend became america's first superhero i read the book physically i listened to the audiobook when i need to like rush it into my head as quickly as possible it's narrated by robert fast which is really interesting he did a really great job with that one yeah he did. um but yeah thank you so much for coming on steven it was a pleasure to have you on man appreciate you thanks christian the episode folks uh once again big thank you to steven for being on the show with me uh always a pleasure to have him on he can come back on anytime maybe we'll do a speedy gonzalez episode for all things steven andes and more be sure to check out zaro'sghost.com to keep up with whatever steven might be up to in the near future if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to go to iTunes, give us a rating and a review, let people, let other people know how you feel about the show. The best possible thing you do is tell your friends about it. Like I said, this is a community driven show. I want to have just your average normal everyday person to come on and have conversations that we don't normally get to have in our everyday lives without forcibly sitting someone down and being like, I want to talk to you about the Looney Tunes. But if you have any feedback you want to give the show directly you go to in my defense podcast at gmail.com feel free to send an email there also check out in my defense podcast.com for all the episodes it's a direct place where you can find them the show is still available on every podcatcher of find one that is not on i will put it there just let me know i was am and may still be christian rivero you can reach out directly to me on those platforms that's the show folks thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in another week with another geek on the in my defense podcast